What a fight. Um, oh, yeah. Putting aside everything that we could possibly talk about, and there are, there's no shortage of things that we're going to talk about on this fight, I'm guessing that this podcast will be almost exclusively all on the main event. But taking all that away, if we could just start and say, did this fight live up to the hype of two elite middleweights getting into the ring and fighting? Um, what's your take? Did it live up to the hype? Oh, totally. Yeah, it's definitely my fight of the year. I thought it was fantastic. And it gets back to what we were talking about last week. I mean, I think we were both feeling the fatigue from the promotion. But uh, at least, you know, I, I had expressed that uh, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but I, I felt once the that. bell rung that it was going to, you know, there's going to be a huge rush, huge rush of excitement and the fight would deliver and the fight definitely delivered M much more so than I expected, by the way. I mean, I was looking forward to who had for a lot of storyline reasons, looking forward to seeing some really high level tactical boxing. And it, you know, ended up being a lot more action packed than I expected, but not, you know, a soppy slugfest, super high level. I mean, this is to me the best type of fight you can ask for. I, I loved it. Right. From the opening round. I'm sitting there, and already I can tell this is a great fight. We're, we're a minute and a half into the fight, and I can already tell this is a great fight. And the reason why is because when you get two guys in the ring and it's a great fight, most of the time what's actually happening is you're seeing a lot of punches get thrown and a lot of them land, which is a violent movie-style fight. And there's nothing wrong with that. We all like to watch a good tear-up every now and then. I mean, the, the Jose Ramirez versus Antonio Orozco, perfect example of a really good fight. But this is different. There's levels to the entertainment of a fight. And what, I mean, it's like comparing a Michael Bay movie, which is lots of car wrecks and explosions and violence, that would be the Jose Ramirez versus Antonio Orozco fight. Nothing wrong with that. But you're trying to compare that to The Godfather, which was Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez. Regardless of how you felt, there are some people that may not have liked the way The Godfather ended. That's fine. Or pick your favorite movie. But you can't deny that the trip to get there, the journey of the film, or in this case, the fight, was excellent. I mean... From the first round, the pace was on a complete... I mean, we just watched Spike O'Sullivan, David Lemieux, and Jaime Munguia. Like, they picked the right guys to really make Golovkin and Canelo look like absolute masters of the craft. And that's not to say that they aren't, because they are. <laughs> but they looked like... I mean, we, it's, it was like we were watching someone as skilled as Floyd fight himself. I mean, these guys look like masters. Just you could see there were so many things happening, all the gears turning, all all the the traps that they were setting. It was like on another level. And just from that, it it was already a great fight for me in the first round. didn't Didn't matter how it how it ended. Um, and and there was action because it could have been a cagey fight, and and there couldn't have been a lot of punches landed, and that happens sometimes. And it's still entertaining, but it, it also brought in the violence with the the high skill. I mean, I think maybe Max Kellerman, and we'll get to Max Kellerman in a bit. But, um, you know, he brings up sometimes, and so does Lampley, the high level or high speed chess. Um, 
What was the best part about the fight for you? What was the best part of the fight for me? I mean, boy, I already uh, <laughs> tried my hardest to put it over. Let me think. If I could distill it into a single thing, I mean, I, I, w- I want to get into and elaborate on some of the details, the tactics in the fight. But um, to me, Canelo almost came out like a mirror image of Golovkin. I mean, the way that he fought so surprised me and, you know, went above my expectations, both in terms of, you know, the action that it delivered and in terms of, um, his ability to perform at that level because he really fought in a different style than we're used to seeing from him. He has a few different looks he brings into the ring, and I feel like it's uh, it's been a while since we've seen this look from him, and I did not expect it from Golovkin, so that was welcome. I think also something else which was welcome. Very, very frequently when you see rematches between high-level boxers, the uh, there's less action because the fighters learn how to adjust and stay away from the power punches of their opponents. So invariably what that means, then they're also backing off their offense because they want to avoid getting hit by that fire. And what you saw here and what you see in some really great series of fights, um, like the Pacquiao uh, Marquez series or the Vasquez Marquez series, uh, was you saw that each fighter felt in order to win, what they needed to do was not to dial back and be more defensively responsible. They need to put their foot on the gas pedal and land more. And both of them did land more. I mean, I just say this as like, you know, the Reddit highlight guy, um, <laughs> you know, a lot more to work with in this fight. You know, in the first fight, you were sort of ooing and eyeing when a fight sort of glanced off a guy's head and, you know, trying to attribute that to deliberate defense and not sloppy offense. And this time, tons of flush connects. So, so much creative offense from both guys, you know, uppercuts, body shots. Golovkin actually did land some body shots this time around. That was, that was fantastic. I uh, landed some great right hands on Canelo. Yeah, yeah. Still, and we'll get into that. I mean, you know, as far as how we feel the fight played out on the scorecards. But um, <laughs> yeah, so not one thing that that was a handful of things that I enjoyed about it. What about you? Um, my favorite part, at least if we're talking about the fa- my favorite part of the fight, is the, and you kind of alluded to it, but the complete reversal of roles. Um, it was almost, <laughs> it was almost like Canelo realized if, I'm going to beat this guy. I need to be beat him at his own game. And I don't know that Golovkin had that same thought because um, he could have made it a little more obvious. Um, if Golovkin thought, well, I need to beat him off the back foot, I, I highly doubt that Golovkin thought that. Uh, it's possible, I, and, I, and I'm not going to say that he didn't. Um, but that that was just so it was just so odd to see them reverse roles, and, and it made it really exciting to see if it was going to work. But... Let's get into the scoring now because I think that's been the biggest conversation, the biggest point of contention about this fight. Uh, there's a lot of controversy surrounding the scoring. Um, and the first question is, is it controversial at all? Is it at all? Yes, but not not majorly so. And I, I definitely have a, a longer answer about that, which I can get into now or if you want to swing back. No, to go that. for it. Sure. So the way that I view it, so I viewed it as uh, I gave it uh, 8-4 Golovkin. I could definitely see it being closer to that, which was actually the same for those who remember from past podcasts. The first fight, I scored 8-4 Golovkin, and I thought the closest that I could give it uh, to Canelo was 6-6, if I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt in swing rounds. But I felt 8-4 Golovkin was the right scorecard. This time around, I actually came up with exactly the same scorecard. And, you know, 
judging, and I'll, I'll explain it this way. So that was my scorecard. The, and, you know, as someone, and I know you judge fights in person as well, just the, the round by round scoring. There's, it's an imperfect process. You know, humans are fallible. There are no strict, fully objective criteria for scoring fights. It's not a mathematical process. You're, you're watching it. You have uh, rules that you're trying to judge against, but really it just comes down to your gut each round. Who do you think won? And, you know, that's where I ended up. And if you looked at the average fan scorecards from the apps, which, you know, usually result in excellent, when you crowdsource that, you usually get an excellent outcome. Those I usually trust more than any single journalist. And if you look at journalists, journalists scored at something like, you know, uh, someone put up a great post on Reddit. Check it out if you haven't seen that already, where they, they, they gathered um, scores from reporters. And it was something like, um, it would be better if I had it in front of me. So I'll actually say that. It was uh, 34 scored it for Golovkin, 2 scored it for Canelo, and 15 scored it a draw. So, you know, if you look at the dis- distribution of all those scores, you got to, you know, most people, 2-1 uh, to one, scored it for Triple G. Uh, about, you know, half as many people scored it as a draw. And very, very few ended up scoring it for Canelo. And the fan average fan scorecard uh, did give it uh, 8 two, three with one, or seven, three with, uh, God, I'm messing that up. Anyway, it was 116, 113. You had basically uh, one draw round in there. So um, do I think it's unreasonable? No, because I think if you give every benefit of the doubt to Canelo, you can get to a draw scorecard, you know, and that's on my card. And if someone else, I say, okay, you know, you're allowed three judges for every fight. That's why you do that. You have three judges. And the idea is that the correct outcome will come out of that. So, you know, how that's supposed to work is that what you might have seen was one for Golovkin or two for Golovkin and maybe one draw or two for Golovkin and one for Canelo. I mean, in terms of this distribution, the way that it would work was even more than that. <laughs> uh, you know, again, but, you know, roughly speaking, it was like you'd see two for Golovkin, one a draw maybe. So you'd get a majority decision. That's what the media ended up with. And, you know, that's the point. So I think it's more if one judge had scored it for Canelo, I wouldn't have said it was crazy. But I feel like at the end of the day, I am going to feel like the wrong outcome happened. You know, the reason why you have three judges is because humans are infallible. And the idea is that when all is said and done at the end of the day, you're more, you know, you're likely to come out with the correct outcome. And I just don't see it for Canelo. I mean, I know ringside is different. We always talk about that. But to me, it really, if you want to give Canelo every benefit of the doubt, fine. You know, that's not crazy. But, uh, you know, even with the scores being close, it just it just doesn't feel right to me. And I think it's unfortunate for Golovkin. Well, I'll tell you why you're wrong now. <laughs> you scored it wide for Golovkin. And I want to make this clear, really perfectly sparkling clear. I don't have a problem with people who scored it for Golovkin. None at all. Much like I have no problem for those of you who scored it for Canelo. Neither guy, and look, if you're upset about the decision, if you're upset that Canelo got 7-5, to five, if you're upset that John is sitting here talking about 116-112 to 112 for Golovkin, what was he watching? You should be mad at yourself. Or sorry, not, not yourself. You should be mad at the fighters. If... If you wanted them to win, they should have made it more obvious. 
Golovkin could have not taken some rounds off that he took off. Canelo could have had better stamina in uh, what we would call probably the maybe the the nine through eleven. Canelo really looked like he gassed out and gave away those rounds. If you wanted a, a clear clear decision, it, it rests on the fighters, and this is a testament to how good they are. Neither could stand out. Neither. Your argument for why one guy won or the other, you are grasping at something really small. And altogether, they didn't do enough. Neither of them did. Which is why there, is, there isn't a consensus of who won. Now, here's the thing. If you are, are taking like the pulse of Reddit, okay? If you're taking the pulse of Reddit or Discord... And you're saying, well, this is why Golovkin won. Because the people here, they think Golovkin won. I want you to go back and watch the fight. Specifically, the ring walks. And tell me that the consensus in totality of all of boxing prefers Golovkin. That's not the case. We're now talking about popularity. We're now, like, if you want to talk consensus of what people think, I guarantee you, you pull every single boxing fan on the, on the planet, and, and Canelo will have the more favorable scores. Now, is that right or is that wrong? Neither. The, the reality is, this was a really close fight. I scored it a draw. And I don't have a problem with 7-5 to five for either guy. You can talk about, oh, well, if you give Canelo the benefit of every round. No. If, if that were the case, this fight would have been wider. Because there were about five swing rounds. And then each guy got a couple of for sure rounds. The other thing. You brought up, well, it's different when you score fights ringside. Yes, it is. And this is, this is here's why... And again, I scored it a draw. So don't sit there after you listen to this or start messaging me and saying, well, you know, you were, you were, you were praising Canelo. No, I'm not going to do that. Okay, I scored it a draw. But I want to make a counterpoint because you brought up that Golovkin won the fight. So I'm going to bring up this point. When you're sitting ringside, jabs that you think on TV are having a big impact, they don't. If you look at the fight, <laughs> Golovkin lands a lot of jabs. And and look, cool. He lands a lot of jabs and he lands a lot of straight right. But he fired them from the elbow. You did not, like, a lot of those jabs, you have to weigh. You heard, you saw a jab connect. Okay. But you also felt the thud of a left hook connecting. Which Which one do you prefer? How many jabs make up that thudding left hook? How many jabs make up that right hook to the body? Because Canelo wasn't as heavy on jabs. He threw a lot of a lot of power punches and landed a lot of power punches. And that's really what you favored. And I'm not saying Golovkin didn't do that. Don't make me out to be that person because I'm not saying that. Uh, Golovkin landed power shots and, and I, I'm with everyone. How the hell did not only Golovkin or Canelo stay on his feet, but how did Golovkin as well stay on his feet with some of the shots that they both got hit with? They're, they're great fighters. That's that's the answer, but I'll I'll wrap it up with by saying this: there, I don't think it was controversy as defined in the dictionary is disagreement, typically when prolonged, public, and heated. Okay, I agree with that. 
It's controversial, right? There is disagreement and, and it's controversial in the actual sense of the word controversy. But here's where I'll draw the line and where I think it's stupid. There was no corruption. Corruption is dishonest or fraudulent. That's not what this fight was. This was a really close fight and you can call it one way or the other. And that's what happened. Canelo got the benefit of two cards. It happens. You know, they fight again. I guarantee the same thing happens. These guys are really close in skill. What do you, what do you want to respond to? Yeah, I think we don't need to belabor this point too much, and I don't need to repeat what I said before. I'll, I'll just close this, this uh, topic by saying, I mean, I think the way that I think about this is a probability distribution. You know, if you have a probability distribution, you have, you know, a graph that looks like a bell curve. And what you're talking about is sort of, generally speaking, like, where do you have uh, 95% confidence, say, you know, for example. So so you're looking at, you know, what is the 95% in the middle? And then you're talking about the 2.5% on either side. And, you know, okay, you know, there's a chance you could end up outside of the, the you know, that, that center section. But it's very, very unlikely. And, you know, it starts to get with random chance infinitesimally small, even though that's, you know, that you uh, can end up if you have repeated, you know, takes. So here, you know, we have three judges. I think most people, I, I don't disagree with you, but again, that's where I get to the three judge example. If someone scores it for Canelo, fine, that's not crazy. If one of the judges scores it a draw, that's not crazy. But Everyone outside of the official judges overwhelmingly scored the fight for Golovkin. And that, zero out of the three in this. Yes, I can. It's, it's very well gathered. I mean, it's it's about two to one for Golovkin. Uh, then uh, about, but you know, again, a third are, out of the sample source? scores at a draw. What is your source? They're talking about the, the media members gathered online and also the, the average fan scorecards. So the average fan scorecards, again, like I, I weigh that very highly, these these mm-hmm. crowdsourced fan scorecards. Whenever you look at them, I feel like whenever I rewatch fights, they generally end up being about right. And you can also you're see gonna, where people were close or far. Like round 10 was extremely far for Golovkin. And you get a sense of really what were the swing rounds and what were the you know close rounds. So again, like round 12 kind of split evenly like round two was a very you know uh clear canelo round and you and i both know the media members are not unbiased come on now well again if you if you look at the whole sample and looking at the fan scorecards and you know again uh, my point is one scorecard for canelo not crazy one draw scorecard not crazy zero out of the three being scored for golovkin that, yeah, it feels like they got the wrong guy. I'm not saying there's corruption, but it's just like it doesn't feel like the correct outcome. The reason you have three judges is to try to get to the correct outcome, and it just doesn't feel like that happened here. Well, here's the thing. That's all. That's like great. Well and good. I disagree with the media members being unbiased. And if you write articles that are you putting over Golovkin, well, I bet that that adds a little bit of bias, and you want that narrative after that you thought Golovkin won because you can keep getting those hits. You can keep going back to that well. If I, I don't think you're crazy enough to tell me that you don't think that hap- that doesn't happen because I'm pretty sure it does. And look, do what you want, okay? 
for those writers, do what you want. I don't, I don't care. I don't read your stuff. Um, you know, most people, they want an echo, echo chamber. They watch the media so that they can, you know, have something to have, have arguments to steal so that they can make their friends look dumb, which is why most people don't watch first take. So, oh, I thought you would have liked that little dig at first take. But, oh, sorry. I'm trying to research something. Sometimes, uh, yeah, queuing up the next point, I miss your joke. Sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, but here's the thing, okay? I, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna respond to that anymore. I'm just gonna say, how do you reconcile the fact that Abel Sanchez, the trainer for Golovkin, is just taking the loss and saying, I mean, in the he's late in the fight, he's saying we're losing. In the in the 11th, he's saying we need this round. And then after the fight, everyone's gracious and said, hey, <laughs> we lost. You're trying to tell me that the most biased person in the damn arena is accepting the loss. Is, and based off of the, the lead-in, all the things that they said, based off of all of that, they are going to now admit defeat. That's the – look, I, I, again, I scored it a draw. And do I agree that Canelo won the fight? Yes, in terms of what it says on BoxRec. In my heart, I know, and who cares about you know what I actually feel, but I'll tell you, what I actually feel is that the fight was a draw. It should have been a draw. I like the the I wanted it to be one card for Golovkin, one card for Canelo, and one card even. A legit draw. Because the fight played out as such, the action was as such, and it would have been an acknowledgement to both fighters. And Canelo got the win, fine, that's that's fair. But Golovkin's team accepting the loss, like, how do you go to what fans thought based off of scoring an app? I wonder what the demographics were like if we ran a poll before the fight. Um, and media members who stand to benefit and have their own biases, and some of them are not even uh, non-transparent with it. Like, what do you say to that? I mean, boy, I, I'm really just kind of trying to like move on to the next topic. I think I can't, let me think of another way to put a capper on it. Like we just had last weekend. You know, I talked about Sean Porter, Danny Garcia. I scored it for. Garcia, but I felt like it was a fair scorecard for Porter. So, you know, maybe I'm being a little unfair here. It was close. Even the people who scored it for Golovkin scored it close. And I'm definitely not saying that bias is at play. Look, I feel sometimes like I can just say, this is my card. That's why you have multiple scorecards. Here, to me, it feels a little bit like the wrong guy ended up getting it when you look at you know, a wide, wide variety of people that, that submitted information. Again, I don't rebut what you're saying, that there are certainly biased uh, journalists out there. But that's why, you know, look at the wide sample, throw it all into a pot. And, uh, you know, that's just how I feel about it. But, you know, like you said, I don't feel it's corruption. And I feel like there are more interesting things to talk about at this point, like, you know, both guys being free agents. Where do they go from here if there will oh, be no, a third fight? No, I mean, there's no. so many topics. To no, hit. we ain't going there. You think that's interesting? You just wait till <laughs> yeah, what I'm about real to say interesting. next. Okay. You wait till what I'm about to say next. <laughs> Not taken coming. Here, here's a question. Okay. Did Abel Sanchez throw Golovkin under the bus? Now, before you before you react, hold on. 
Abel Sanchez trained Murat Gassiev when he fought Ushik. And <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> and when asked why didn't Gassiev do anything, Sanchez gave this response like, well, you know, I, you know, he, I can only tell him so much. He has to do it. He's the one fighting, right? You're not going to even take the bullet for for your guy. You're not going to like come on. And then in this fight, he says, well, you know, I told Golovkin we needed the round and he didn't win the round. Like, is he throwing his guys under the bus? So I I did not hear his specific quote, but I think I'm going to respond in two separate ways. So one, I, I think I have to call out. I mean, are you talking about Gleb's question related to Gassiev? Or are you speaking more generally about that? Um, Both. It was a- sure. So, yeah, my memory of what, because I think it is applicable to this. So Gleb asked him, as, as I remember it, you know, basically, why weren't you able to give him better instructions during the fight instead of just kind of like, you know, repeating the same thing over and over again and having it not really take an effect? Um, and Sanchez's response was basically like, you know, there's only so much you can adapt during a fight. You put your work in in the gym, you know, and I think here kind of a similar thing that you have. Golovkin uh, looked like he was not prepared for the game plan Canelo brought. Like I said, I still scored it for Canelo, though, but I can't fault that. You know, there were stretches of the fight where, like, the body language and confidence seemed to be on Canelo's side. But, you know, like I said, in the majority of rounds, I felt like Golovkin was still landing more and doing better work. So um, regarding that outcome, I think part of it is that. (laughs) <laughs> where where I knew, you know, from in the span of a year from the last fight to this fight, I think they felt we can't completely reinvent this fighter, which is ironic when across the ring, you know, Canelo fought in a completely different style from that fight to this fight. Um, and then the other piece of it, which is really interesting, is, you know, Golovkin showed such extraordinarily poor sportsmanship of storming out of the ring. I mean, as much as I say that as a fanboy, like, you know, you'd think Golovkin would have enough class to at least stay in the ring and do a post-fight interview. So, I mean, I feel like everything that happened afterwards, both with Golovkin and Sanchez, is probably a little bit overcompensating for Golovkin throwing a temper tantrum and leaving the ring. Well, maybe it's a it's it's a response to Golovkin not being willing to talk and do an interview after the fight. I mean, if you wanted to sell a a, a third fight, a rematch. That was the time in the ring before everyone turned their TV off, before nobody was watching the post-fight press conference. You could have said, I want another shot at this guy because I don't think he beat me. The judges got it wrong. I mean, in his Golovkin way, of course. Um, and, And I think that could certainly have been a way. But this leads me into the next part, which is like, I understand why he left. And I don't know if you heard the, the the last podcast we did specifically on this fight. Yeah, I listened to it. I, I made this case, and I actually can't remember it completely, the case that I made. But I essentially said why this fight means so much for Golovkin, why he can't afford to lose, is because on an emotional level, they've put so much into this fight. There is so much at stake for Canelo, or sorry, not for Canelo, but for Golovkin. The guy's mad. He's taken this personally. He feels like he's been wronged and slighted because one, it was a draw. Two, Canelo was on PEDs or whatever, um, or at least tested positive. I'm not going to accuse him of doing anything because that's you know not necessarily true. Could or could not be. But coming into this one with all that was riding on the fight, he loses. 
that's got to be crushing from a, a, a mental standpoint. I don't know what that's like because I've never been in that situation before. But if I could map it onto my own life, I can imagine that I would just be crushed. I wouldn't want to talk. What is there to say? I did what I could. I did the best I could do against a guy that we thought we finally had him. And it wasn't enough. I don't mind that he stormed out of the ring at all. I I would have preferred him to stay there and I would have preferred him to, to hype up a, a third fight. But I get it. I think... Um... I mean, it's a few things. I mean, one, I think I'm just realizing, like, I was being very disrespectful to Golovkin. I mean, I, I shouldn't have gone that heavy on him. When? Uh, saying that he's being, oh, just now, saying that uh, he's being classless by leaving the ring. I mean, I mean, you yeah, can say I mean, it. There's some that, I'm sure there are people that think that. Look, I mean, it's the culmination of his career. I scored it for him. I just went on an extended rant about how I felt he deserved it. Fine. You know, it's like I can't I have not lived the life he's had. I can't say that he doesn't have a right to be that upset. I mean, he for dedicated sure his entire he, <laughs> he dedicated his entire life to the sport. This is the culmination of his career. You know, coming in, I had tweeted this out um and also posted on Reddit. Jim Lampley had a burning hot oh, quote you, saying you Golovkin's posting this. <laughs> Golovkin's entire career a failure if he loses to Canelo. I mean, I'm in you know, several group chats with Tom, and I literally saw this probably ten times yesterday, before and after the fight. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so um, look, he, <clears throat> um, I get it. I mean, because there was a narrative building. It looks like he hasn't fought any. I mean, it's it really is. There is a tragedy to it. And I don't mean that as like, oh, it's tragic, like 9-11's tragic. But I mean tragic in the sense of like, you know, just, um, <laughs> you know, drama. Um, where the narrative is career that he was really unknown and hadn't fought anyone. Uh, he was at least to some extent avoided. I mean, I know there's some argument there about, you know, rival networks and, you know, why would the Charlos or jacobs have fought him earlier if they're on different networks and blah 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 uh but you know finally steps up and without question i mean he was older i mean he's getting to the point where i think for almost every fighter you would say is past his physical prime that's when he fights jacobs uh has a very close fight could have gone the other way fought brooke you know demolished brooke ultimately but kind of got embarrassed in the fight a little got lit up for for little stretches uh fought canelo in the first fight got a draw he probably deserved to win and you know that's the thing i mean if you're saying this is just how fortune you know tips on the scale that you know oh could have gone one way or the other it's not a robbery but it went to canelo i mean as far as the narrative arc of his career i mean that's where it feels tragic because you know he got to a point where you know we don't know how good he ever could have been but he's at least diminished in some way and now, you know, he had these close fights, and the first fight, I felt he clearly deserved to win, got that draw. Second fight, I thought, again, he deserved to win, and loses a close decision. Again, neither are highway robbery. I don't think there's corruption at play, but it just, you have to feel for him. I mean, it kind of sucks, because, uh, again, you know, he doesn't have a signature win. You know, his two biggest fights by far, really the only two super significant fights of his career, 
uh, are a draw and a loss on the record book. You know, we talked about this a lot last week with uh, Danny Garcia and Sean Porter. I mean, fans talk now about how close it is, but a year from now, it's a win and a loss. That's what's shown on both of their records. And, yep. you know, Golovkin, you know, this might be the end. I mean, he could, you could see him retiring at this point. I mean, oh, I think he'd be to steal very- my points for later. <laughs> All right, let's get into it now. Let's let's do. Do you have any response to me, or do you want to get straight into Golovkin retirement talk? Well, d- this will lead into it. So, sure. I, I have one thought that I've that I've heard from people, and I don't know that it's true or not, but I'd like to at least provide a counterpoint, and that is whether or not Golovkin is old, over the hill, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, out of his prime. That might be true, but I don't know one hundred percent because. If you look at the wear and tear on Golovkin, it's it's not much. I mean, he didn't start getting hit in fights till since until uh, he fought Jacobs. Prior to that point, he really rarely got hit because he was in there with guys that were too scared to th- punch back. So, if Golovkin's out of his prime, that was a pretty short stretch of him actually being able to compete in high level fights. Um, his his run on HBO didn't start until he was close to thirty years old. I think at this point, how I'll know Golovkin's leaving or not in his prime anymore is the same thing that happened with Sergio Martinez, is that his body will fail him. I think Golovkin's skills are such that he'll be able to compete, competi- or yeah, to be competitive with basically all the better guys at middleweight until he starts to break down. The Golovkin that we saw last night was... was I. I don't think he was much different than any Golov- any version of Golovkin we've seen. The thing is, it's funny. Power seems to go away when you fight guys who are really good. Speed starts <laughs> to diminish when you f- play- fight against guys that are really good. It's like, I don't know that that's a major criticism on Golovkin. And I don't know if it's a major criticism on Canelo. Like, we're not going to sit here and say, well, Canelo doesn't have any power because he couldn't hurt Floyd Mayweather. No, it's just that power that knocked out Josecito Lopez ain't that good when you're fighting against a guy who's taken bigger shots than you can throw and did fine with them. So I, I don't, I'm not confident in Golovkin like it being doom and gloom for Golovkin in the sense that oh he's no longer good I think if there's reason to be doom and gloom it's from the mental aspect of that fight going forward but let's get into the next part what is next for Golovkin and um you know I was talking with people after the fight uh and here's like the general consensus is that um one of them, and Tom, you may fall on, on in one of these camps. One of them has a pretty grim outlook. And if that, like, do you think one of them has a, a like, kind of a grim outlook? Boy, I would never frame it in that way at all. So, look, <laughs> Golovkin made huge amounts of money from the first fight, huge amounts of money from this fight. I, I just, I don't know, I have a hard time responding to it in that, you know, dramatic of a way about, you know, being grim. I mean, I think it's... It's largely just because he made so much money. I don't think he's done. I don't think it means he couldn't well, fight I mean, anyone. In boxing, but, like not like obviously he's set for life unless yeah. You know, well, but he I mean, picks up but a bad it, habit. It does matter, you know. Like Madonna didn't fight again after he fought Floyd. I mean, he made a fortune 
and just got fat and, you know, plays with guns now and has a very, you know, he's an Instagram star, but uh, not anywhere close to being back in fighting shape. I mean, Golovkin, I just, I don't really see, I mean, if you look at, you know, the middleweight rankings, he doesn't have a frame where it makes sense to go up to 168. I mean, he's well past that point. I mean, he's 35. I mean, this is just the size his body is. So he's not going to go up. He could do a rematch with Jacobs. What's that? That's a premium cable fight. Maybe, uh, you know, 150, 200,000 pay-per-view. Uh, maybe get some bump from being on these big Canelo pay-per-views. Fine. But that's still going to make a fraction of what he made in these other fights. And it's a losable fight. Jamal Charlo, again, similar size, losable fight. Um, Billy Joe Saunders, Demetrius Andre winner. I would be more inclined to favor Golovkin there. But again, similar size fight, not a giant fight. You're either talking sort of a niche boxing pay-per-view uh, or a premium cable payday. So, I mean, given his age, uh, I just, you know, Marvin Hagler never fought again after he fought Ray Leonard. You know, it was a combination of the sour grapes of what happened, which, by the way, we haven't mentioned that. I mean, that's what most people are going to be discussing when they talk about this fight, especially if he does retire, the is the Hagler, parallel to the Ray Leonard fight. Yeah, Hagler-Leonard. Yeah. yeah, but who But cares? anyway, not to get too distracted, we'll get back to this. Um, yeah, I, I think the most likely thing is that he'll retire. I mean, the talks are that his deal with HBO is up. They clearly did not show him huge support coming into this. You know, they did, they were not willing to put up a license fee for him to get a real opponent in May. So instead, he had to fight Venice. I mean, there were other circumstances around that. But one of the pieces was that they were only willing to offer something like, um, you know, $150,000, $200,000, something like that for the opponent for that date. Um, yeah, I think he's going to retire. That's my take. I don't know if that's even a hot take, but where do you stand? Well, I wanted to respond to first um... – Anyone who thinks that the the outlook is grim in terms of like, well, they don't have no one to fight now and they're not going to be able to put on big events and all that stuff. You're wrong. Now, if you're asking me what is most likely for Golovkin, it's one, he's going to get the third rematch. Number two is that he retires. And number three, he still has a pretty nice run. I think the fight with Murata... Top rank is going to be all over this fight, trying to get this fight. Now, Golovkin's going to easily knock out Murata. That's like a five or six round fight for Golovkin. And he gets to fight on ESPN pay-per-view. That's something that they want to do. You you don't have any fights on the horizon to put on ESPN pay-per-view except for this one and maybe two others. And the two others are very unlikely to happen in the foreseeable future. Imagine Ryota Murata, by the way, fighting on pay-per-view. <laughs> um, he can go to Showtime see here's why Golovkin in my opinion Golovkin has the better short term future with Canelo Canelo has youth and therefore he has time to let other options rise to create a big event he doesn't need to rush into anything Golovkin has now this year, and maybe next year. And if he gets there, maybe the next year. It all depends on how he does. He's basically Tom Brady right now, except without five Super Bowls. He, I guess, doesn't even have one. But the, the point I'm making is that Golovkin is going to be forced to take these fights, like Charlo, like a rematch with Jacobs, like the winner of Andrade versus Saunders. He's not going to sit around and wait for <laughs> Jaime Munguia to become the second biggest pay-per-view star that's not gonna happen there's no time for that but you know what the iron is hot Golovkin has previously sold 
enough pay-per-view buys to get about $10 million. And with two fights against Canelo, he's probably going to do more pay-per-view buys. And if you get the right opponent, he'll do a, a pretty decent pay-per-view number. It, it's, it's not going to be higher than any of Canelo's. It's not going to crack a million. You don't have to, though. It's something that I say on the podcast all the time. Success in the success as a paper, um, a boxing pay per view success is not predicated on whether or not you sell over a million buys. If you think that, you've been brainwashed by Floyd Mayweather. Congratulations. One hundred and seventy five is still respectable. You still make enough money. Look at Andre Ward. Look at the guys who fought on pay per view and then just go invisible. Marcos Maidana, a perfect one that you brought up. You make a few million dollars, and it's like, hey, I'm set for life. And for most of us, okay, except for you, Tom, but most normal people, <laughs> you think to yourself, if I had a million dollars, I'd be pretty much set for life. I'd never, like, you know, I, I'd still work and, you know, uh, all this stuff, but that would be enough in the bank to keep you comfortable for the rest of your life. Tom, I know if you woke up tomorrow with a million dollars, you'd probably kill yourself, but. Look, there's, there's normal people on the planet. It's a very okay. complicated premise you're laying out. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> continue. Well, I want you only to respond to the things that I've said directly to you. So anyway, what I'm saying is that I like Golovkin's short-term future. Obviously, Canelo, as a younger guy, got, got a lot, many years ahead of him. A lot of pay-per-views that you're going to buy, uh, specifically you, Tom. But, um, but Golovkin's short-term future is packed with names that you recognize. Should he continue fighting? All it's all based on that. And and you you actually said, stole my, my I literally wrote it down, stole what I said, that it's likely he retires. <laughs> well, so I, you know, I appreciate that you took the counterpoint. But yeah, just that seems like the most uh, likely thing. Should we, should we go on to, I mean, I, I will speak to what you said for a second. Could I see a chance of, so, you know, big, big thing, I think he either didn't mention or sort of... Uh, glossed over that both Canelo and Golovkin it was announced this week are pre free agents after this fight I had never heard that prior to about two days before the fight and then it was all over boxing Twitter uh you know confirmed by real reporters so that to me is just crazy I hadn't known that at all and I can't imagine either fighter as a reason to resign but yeah regarding Golovkin um it, yes is there business to be made are there millions of dollars to be made if he you know, ended up signing a deal with ESPN and they heavily invested him and wanted to rebuild him. Uh, same thing on the PBC side, although I feel like just alliance wise, he'd be less likely to be with PBC. Um, yeah, there's money to be made there. I, 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 you know, again, I just, I feel like it's more likely he's going to retire and um, yeah, we can move on. Should we talk about Canelo now? No, because I, <laughs> okay. I want to lay out this <laughs> Hard alternate right timeline. Okay. Um, there's a couple of ways we can play this out. But they all end the same way. He could sign with PBC. He could sign with ESPN. He could sign with Perform Group, which is Dazen, Eddie Hearn. Um, and let's say he gets a Jacobs or he gets a Charlo or he fights. Well, he this isn't going to happen on top rank side of the things. But he, he fights uh, on Dazen. He fights on Showtime pay-per-view or Fox pay-per-view or whatever. And he loses to Charlo or he loses to Jacobs. And let's say this one is actually a little more conclusive than his loss to Canelo. Maybe he's clearly lost a step. What then becomes the legacy for Golovkin? How does he get remembered? Because <laughs> I, I want to make this case. Um, 
great fighters who we remember almost always move up in weight. They climb the ladder of boxing. They take titles in multiple weight classes. Now, this isn't 100%, but if you look at the greats, if I asked the, you to name some great fighters, you would most likely pick guys who've, I mean, Manny Pacquiao, Floyd Mayweather, Oscar De La Hoya, Roy Jones Jr. These guys all, I mean, Julio Cesar Chavez, they, not, not the, uh, the junior, just want to make that clear. Um, <laughs> they all went up in weight. Golovkin's fought his entire career at 160. He'll, assuming he doesn't beat Jacobs or Charlo in a rematch, his biggest win was against Danny Jacobs. And Jacobs, again, will, will be a guy that isn't remembered unless he does something pretty spectacular going forward. What then? Well, right. And it's, you know, remembered as being an extremely close whip. So what then becomes, I mean, do, here's the thing. I, I'm, I'm like, I'm trying <laughs> to put myself in. Are you saying that Jim in, Lampley is correct? <laughs> I, no, I don't know what Lampley said. What did he say? Oh, the, the image meme I kept posting. Oh, God. That if Golovkin loses, his entire career is a failure. That's what, that's yes. what you're saying. That, that's what Lampley said. I, I, look, as, as, a, as being sentimental about it, being somebody who enjoys watching Golovkin fight, being someone who always watches Golovkin fight, I would hate that. I really would. I do not want to, in 10 years, listen to some little stupid idiot, 19-year-old, 20-year-old kid talking about boxing, telling me that Gennady Golovkin was or meant nothing in the history of boxing, that he was not a great fighter, that he accomplished nothing. I would hate to be in that conversation. But also, I might have to give it some merit. And I'd hate to do that. But that could be, that that literally could be the fate of Golovkin. And again, I don't want you to think that I'm saying that, but I'm agreeing. Like, if you really look objectively and you look at how we judge boxing, and, and I'm sure Lampley laid out a pretty good case if he said that, um, that could be his future. But I'm uh, sure that there are guys that we could have said that about 10 years ago that would have been like, oh, no, Jermaine Taylor is an all-time great. He beat Bernard Hopkins, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> have you heard about Jermaine Taylor today? I mean, they're, they're, D- Dimitri Pirog, who's going to remember Pirog? He beat Danny Jacobs. Like, we're not going to talk about Pirog in 10 years. <laughs> that uh, that actually perfectly dovetails into what I'm, I'm chomping at the bit to say here. Can I okay. can I jump in or do you yeah. have more? Uh, um, so, ah, God, you know, Max Kellerman had a great comment on the pay-per-view. And he, he aired a sentiment that I've said, uh, said and thought numerous times. And so to, to paraphrase here, something um, he was talking about how – um, actually, I'm going to come in a slightly different way. Okay, so it's like the the biggest footprint on the internet related to boxing. If you're talking about the entire sport of boxing yeah. on the internet, is Fair. first Muhammad Ali, you know, and his whole legacy, and Fine. second after that is Mike Tyson highlights. Uh-huh. It's not Mike Tyson highlights in championship fights. Is Mike Tyson annihilating? you know, coal miners who were like two and five early on in his career. That is the biggest foot. That's, you know, 
I've said this before, and I'm being honest when I say this. That is what got me into boxing. In the, the early days of Jabroni. video on the internet, was watching Mike Tyson blow out no hopers. And, you know, that's still, if you look at the, the clips that really go viral on Reddit, it's, you know, there are some modern ones that are popular, but a lot of his old Mike Tyson highlights. And talking about Golovkin, Kellerman raised a great point, which was, you know, if you look at how is Golovkin going to be remembered and they really were almost writing an, an epitaph um you know a eulogy um for his career before the fight even happened and saying you know look he does not have signature wins uh saying that coming in okay they, they're sort of edging the fight for canelo or saying you know if he doesn't win in this fight he'll really end his career without a signature win but you'll have a record of these memories that boxing fans will never forget and they used examples and you know they used the curtis stevens knockout where curtis stevens curtis stevens made that crazy face or you know him getting hit flush and then landing a counter right back knocking his opponent out you know all of these memorable highlights and you know that really is the thing i mean with this loss, and let me just say one more thing with this. This week, I posted a bunch of highlight clips, and I'll just go through some of these numbers. Danny Garcia counter Sean Porter. That was about 40,000 views. Canelo um, evading Golovkin. It was an evasion. You know, he count, evaded and countered. That did 90,000 views. Uh, Mayweather uh, doing a shoulder roll on Canelo, or you know, I, I'm saying for brevity's sake, I know I'm not saying this correctly, but anyway, sh- sh- showing off some shoulder roll defense against Canelo, landing a huge counter, Canelo's head whips around, that got 110,000. So all those are, you know, between 40 and 100,000 views, roughly. The clip that we've all seen as boxing fans a billion times of Golovkin knocking out Curtis Stevens did 2.4 million views this week. That was the clip. It wasn't championship-level boxing. It wasn't what we considered modern star power. It was that. It was a crossover moment, and people remember that. And I just, you know, I think it's just a thing to say. With this, no matter what, and, you know, you think about what Jim Lampley said, really what that means is not Golovkin's reputation will drop to zero. It means that, okay, maybe you're saying the consensus opinion among boxing fans, the consensus opinion in boxing history. Without question, though, Golovkin will live on. I mean, he has a legacy you know, it's a little dubious if you're talking in terms of just purely those knockouts against, you know, really nothing level opponents. But people will remember that. I mean, again, people remember Mike Tyson more than anything else for those crazy knockouts. I mean, yes, he became the world champion and all of these other things, but that's really his enduring legacy. If, you know, you search on any site and like search by, you know, what are the top hits for Mike Tyson? It's not his championship fights. It's those early fights and those crazy highlights. Anyway, anyway. That's that's just my comment. His reputation will not drop to zero. His reputation in boxing history, yes, tremendously diminished. And that's a shame, especially if, you know, either of these Canelo fights could have gone to him. And then, you know, he has his signature wins. But again, you know, he will be remembered. Uh, Arturo Gatti is remembered, not for his uh, the quality the, of his wins, but for disputes. the drama of his fights. Well, sure. I mean, anyway, back to you. Here's the thing. I'm I'm going to make this real short and sweet. Let's go back about 8 or 9 years ago. Do you know what if if we ran those numbers, do you know what prob- probably be like the most watched YouTube videos? I'm curious to see cuz I I heard you had an answer ready. So yeah, what Lucian Butte knockouts. <laughs> 
Oh God, is Golovkin's reputation falling that fall? Well, no, you know, I, Bouffet, I'm not he saying got that... sent to hell by Carl Frosch. I mean, right. he lost his big fight, but he got sent to hell. Right. Golovkin, you know, lost on the scorecards. I don't think it's going to be that level of just erasing his legacy. No, I, I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not making the comparison between the two. I'm just saying that you measuring traffic and determining legacy. Um, I don't think there's a correlation there. I think we live in, in an age now where certain content that is consumable and is like gift worthy that gets mem- remembered. But like, yeah, okay, could all those people name Golovkin? Uh, yeah, no. Right. So I mean, we've all seen UFC clips. I I can't tell you who the UFC people are, um, but they're easily consumable content. Um, and stupider things become popular on Giphy Cat or whatever, whatever the services that you like to use, um, or, you know, YouTube, whatever you want. Okay. I, I just don't think that's an apples to apples thing. Um, and I think I've made my case clear that I, 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 I think Golovkin gets remembered. Um, I think his legacy is intact. I just think that he's at risk of having it diminished more than what it really is. But um, the good thing about Golovkin is that he hasn't been knocked out yet. He hasn't been like truly just outclassed. Um, but here, here's another thing. If you want to make the GIF argument, okay, if you look at the, the, the shots that you could make GIFs from, from this fight and the one before, it heavily favors Canelo. And that's due uh. to the style that Canelo fights in. He has the crisper, the cleaner counters with power shots. Golovkin's mostly landing jabs. He, I mean, that's not to say Golovkin doesn't land big shots, but it outweighs what um, Canelo's shots outweigh Golovkin's. Yeah, I was just going to say, actually, I would counter that regarding this fight. You know, I am, I am, you know, I'm the highlight guy. I'm making highlights today. It's actually Canelo. I mean, it's actually Golovkin. Um, Golovkin landed tons of great shots in this fight. Uh, credit to Canelo's beard, but, um, yeah, I, I, look, I realize this is kind of a silly point. I'm not saying this matters more than his legacy among real boxing commentators and boxing history and all that, but, you know, I think he will be remembered though. I don't think he's just going to disappear. I think, you know, fans are going to remember buying pay-per-views and buying fights for Golovkin. You know, he still very much still has his fan base. I don't think those people are going to disappear. I mean, all the people that were raging today, um, I think similar to uh, Kovalev. I mean, Kovalev has fallen further than Golovkin has at this point. But, um, you know, he still has fans. People are still going to remember him. People are still going to look back five years from now and remember that they had fun watching his fights, the people who are big fans of him. A- anyway, I-, I think I'm sort of ready to move on from this this little bit. Do you have any response? Or, I don't no, know. I definitely I'm... would be interested to talk about Canelo's future. No, Canelo's future, I think, is pretty simple. And it, everything rests, and I want to bring up the Munguia fight first. You can get where I'm going with this. Um, the Munguia fight was predictable. I think Munguia showed a lot of flaws against Liam Smith. None of them have been fixed. None <laughs> yeah, of them. Absolutely. And um, Canelo's future lies with Munguia. And if I'm promoting Munguia, I am not stupid, and neither are you, listener, who's listening to this, thinking well, you're going to feed Munguia, a 21-year-old kid, to Canelo. Yeah. His, his team will. 
How do I know this? How do I know that Munguia is going to become another tail in boxing where they rushed him into a fight too big when he still had lots of flaws against a really highly skilled fighter and he's never the same? How do I know this? They offered him up to fight Golovkin on short notice. What kind of team does that? Do you think that they would have offered Spence up when Spence was 10-0 and 0 or whatever or you know, at the same point in his career? They didn't even offer Huey Fury up to Wilder. And Huey might have given Wilder a tough fight until Wilder Wilder landed a big shot, and then it would have been over. But if you have, like, just logically, if you have something that you know is going to grow into something, let's say, I mean, Tom, you know, money's your thing. Let's say you you had a a small sum of money that you were trying to grow into something. You wouldn't just go and put it on a horse. Okay? But the fact that they wanted to put push Munguia to fight Golovkin, who would have killed Munguia, that would have been a short fight. They're gonna rush him into the fight with Canelo. It may not be, it may not be in December. It may not even be in May. It may be next September. Fine, but if it's within the next year, it's too soon, because Munguia could get better, like actually better as a as a boxer, but also more popular. And you can grow that pay-per-view fight. And I think that's the right thing to do. I think Canelo could conceivably, for the next year, fight guys that are eh, okay level, you know, mid-tier uh, middleweights. The thing is, at, the, at this time in middleweight, I think there are a lot of guys that are closer to being... A level than they are to being C level. You have the or, or unless he's fighting guys coming off of a loss, but like Jacobson Derevianchenko winner is close to being in the or is in the top five. There, there. Jacobs is already in the top five. You have Charlo. You, you have uh, Saunders and Andrade. Those winners clearly in the top five. I think there's a lot of opponents that in the short term are tough fights, and then there's Munguia who has to move up and wait. And I think the plan is Munguia. For Canelo's sake, the sooner the better. Um, he beats him, easy fight. Uh, you let him grow into something, also easy fight, and you get money. Um, but I don't really... I mean, I guess he's going to fight Lemieux next since he's the the mandatory. And since Lemieux knocks Spike out in one round, like, I, I, I see that as being a pretty easy sell. Uh, you know how people get when someone's coming off of a knockout win, especially one like that. Uh, but that's what I see for his future. Do you see it differently? Um, yeah. I mean, well, first off, again, point we're kind of glossing over here, which is pretty big, is that he's now a free free agent. So, I mean, I, I brought up the the opponents. Just obviously, I'm assuming that he can fight wherever he wants, and he can now because he's actually a free agent. Right, right, right. But I, well, anyway. So my thought is at this point it would be most likely and make the most sense for him to walk away. I mean, I think you could still see him do doing the uh, Lemieux fight. That seems like a no-brainer. I think people wouldn't give him too much shit for that. He's now fought Golovkin twice, and especially if Golovkin retires, there won't be any pressure for a third fight. Um, So I think he could do that without getting a lot of shit for it, Um, even though that'd be seen as somewhat of a lower-level fight. 
I think he could do it and get away with it, especially if he does it sooner than later. They've talked about him fighting in December. If he can do a quick turnaround, which, you know, seems a lot less likely now that he got cut and had a pretty physical fight, but if they can do a pretty quick turnaround for that fight, get it signed before, like, you know, uh, the Lemieux, or not Lemieux, um, Android Saunders winner is available. It's like, that's kind of how the games are playing. Anyway, so I think he could do that one next, but I think generally speaking, he'll walk away. I mean, you know, I mentioned the, the aftermath of Leonard Hagler, and I think that does in some ways apply here. I mean, wait, Leonard what do stepped you mean away. By walk away? It's, you're, it's almost like you're implying he, he'll just retire. Is well, that boxing retire for a year or two? Like, you know, okay. Floyd Mayweather did multiple times. Like Ray Leonard, that wasn't Ray Leonard's last fight. Yeah, but he, he, he also just stepped had a away detached and... retina, so and could have well, went but, blind. But your Floyd point again, is actually he did that better. Multiple points. So you know, at certain times, look, if you're by far the biggest draw in the sport, and there is, which he is. I mean, Joshua sells a lot of tickets and number, but I mean, Canelo is by far the biggest uh, money. Don't earner. tell Max that. Max says that he said on the broadcast, <laughs> Anthony was, Joshua is the biggest star in the sport, but can't convince uh, people to pay more than can't can't pull together more than thirteen million from ninety thousand people. Look, that's his first take argument. I'm not going to get into that. Joshua is a big star, too. We don't really need to get into a pissing contest who's number one anyway. Canelo is by far the biggest star in his you know area of potential fights. He's not a guy who, again, talked about Golovkin. He's not a guy who naturally can move up to 168. He's already very short for 160 or even 154, really. So, yeah, I could definitely see him walking away. I mean, it, I don't see it benefiting him. Look, if he fought Charlo, that would good. That would do good money on pay-per-view, but it would be primarily because of Canelo. He could also step away and wait for Charlo to fight Jacobs, to fight the uh, Saunders-Andre winner. I mean, those are all undefeated fighters, you know, uh, not Jacobs, but the, the rest. And, you know, people are going to emerge from that. So, you know, it's really a matter of does he want to sell, you know, around a million-ish pay-per-views for those guys in what, you know, I'll just say very bluntly, view as toss-up fights. I mean, the big difference in a Floyd Mayweather here is Floyd Mayweather was clearly the number one pound-for-pound number one, and not in terms of fanboy arguments, but just in terms of, you know, there's no one you could throw in the ring with him. Yeah, I mean, there's no one you could throw in the ring with him that was reasonably going to be thought to beat him. You know, it's like they put Marquez in with him, he, he beat him up. You know, there's a big size advantage. But again, there was no one around his area that was conceivably going to beat him. I mean, uh, Mayweather put on an absolute showcase against Canelo. I, I rewatched the fight this week and I forgot how dominant it was. I mean, I remember Fred Garvin mentioning that last year uh, leading up to the Canelo fight. And I it's, and uh, May Gregor when they were both, you know, both had fights looming. And I sort of forgot when you watch that fight. I mean, it was really so dominant. Canelo is short for 160. He just had two fights he arguably lost. He also arguably lost to Arizona. Lara had a bunch of other close fights in his career. He's not a prohibitive number one guy, which, by the way, is why some of these pay-per-views were sell because they're viewed as being competitive. But um, I don't see him ever fighting Jamal Charlo in the current climate. It, he just doesn't bring enough money, and it's too losable of a fight. Same, things for, same thing for Jacobs. I think slightly less so for Andre Saunders. But again, it's just, that's even less of a draw, at least in the United States, on pay-per-view. Um, so, you know, could, he, could I see him doing the Lemieux, Lemieux fight? Yes, because that could sell a million buys. 
And it's 100% a fight Canelo will win and get a highlight reel knockout. So I see him either retiring now and, again, boxing retire, stepping away for a year or two, letting more of a credible challenger emerge and just, you know, picking his spots. Because, again, he's still a huge celebrity. He's not like Floyd. Floyd had that, you know, domestic abuse charge on his record or whatever the specific offense was. I don't remember what it was uh, specifically in terms of the criminal code. Oh, but, you, you know, remember – um, I don't. But anyway, you know, it was bad. And as a result of that, Floyd doesn't get sponsorships for most companies. I mean, Canelo is one of or the biggest star in Mexico. Um, you know, he's he's one of the biggest stars in Mexico. I'll just frame it that way. He's a huge pay-per-view draw in the United States and he can have huge sponsorships in the United States. I mean, any company that wants to curry favor with Hispanic Americans, Hispanic American demographics, I mean, he'll be able to reap huge amounts of money in sponsorships. I mean, he has other stuff going on. I just... I view it as so likely that he will retire at this point as opposed to, again, fighting. I mean, it's just why would he fight Jamal Charlo now instead of two years from now? Well, it makes no sense. And same thing with all of these other guys. Anyway, I've spoken for a long time. I want to Go address back. something. Uh, sponsorships. Yeah. Um, only jabronis have sponsorships. Uh, Floyd, like the way he did, like the, the Heyman model. What is the Heyman model? We, we do this on a per fight basis. And we're going to negotiate for as much money as possible every single time. That's why Floyd didn't have sponsorships. Every single time. It's like, well, how much are you going to pay me this time? Well, I'm fighting Manny Pacquiao. How much are you going to pay me this time? Not no set amount. This is no Reebok contract. This is no Under Armour contract. It's like, no, you're not going to get me while I'm, I'm, I'm low and, and, and pay me these peasant wages. Shout out, Tom, for the next <laughs> six fights. Can I uh, can I jump in here and, and pivot you a little bit, redirect sure. this a little bit? So I think I totally agree with you, and that's what makes sense for him. But I think from at least the quotes that I've read from De La Hoya this week, you know, he is definitely saying he wants to keep the uh, Canelo train rolling. Now the oh, question sure. is, when you're talking about him being a free agent, are we speaking of free free agent in terms of network? Or are we going to add in terms of promoter as well? Because from my standpoint. Golden Boy at this point is basically dead weight for him. I mean, reports were that he wasn't happy with the way negotiations went for this fight. And if he steps away, I can't imagine why he would benefit from taking Golden Boy with him. I mean, um, if he steps away for a year or two, that's plenty of time to get a new alliance with a promoter, work out some type of deal like with what Floyd had, where, you know, the promoter just gets a million, million and a half, something like that for a fight, flat fee. And, um, you know, to, to promote his fights going forward. I just, um, I understand why Golden Boy wants it because without Canelo, they have absolutely nothing. Well, they have no yeah, sway pull with com- any network. Company. Yeah, well, right. And they arguably aren't already when you look at the amount of money that, I mean, from the financials we saw from some of these lawsuits, I mean, they are not bringing in a huge amount of money and they have to pay Canelo a huge signing bonus. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think there's every indication they're, they're still in the red on Canelo. <laughs> I guess pun not intended, but yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So do you think he'll stay with golden boy? Um, I'll tell you what I think he should do. And then I'll tell you what I think he will do. What I think he should do is there, there are two options here and you brought up one, which is a a pretty nice option. That's to take a year off. Um, I don't think he should. I think he should maintain the May 4th date next year, as well as the September date. Um, which would mean he fights two times again in the in the next twelve months. I think he should do that. But if he were to take a, a year off and maybe just come back next September, uh, here's what he should do: 
Use that time to create your own promotional company. Use that time to get licensed in Las Vegas. Use that time to, if you're going to put yourself at risk, if you're bringing all the money in the, on, uh, to the table, make sure you're getting all the profit. Make sure you're the one who's cutting Golden Boy a check if, if you want to include them in, in, in everything. You don't have to. I mean, think about this, okay? 12 months from now, he fights Jamal Charlo. He goes to, again, this is making a lot of assumptions uh, that Canelo's this business savvy or that he has somebody that's going to do this. But going to PBC and saying, we're going to promote the whole event. We want a piece of every single fight. You usually bring in TGB, you usually have or Warriors Boxing or Ringstar. We want none of that. It's Canelo Promotions and Canelo Promotions only. We have our guys we want on the card and we have uh, you know me in the main event. We'll give you a few slots, but we want to promote everything here. This takes Canelo, like this turns Canelo from just being, uh, you know, one of, or the biggest pay-per-view star in boxing right now, but he's the biggest pay-per-view star at a, at a lower level than he would be if he did that. Because part of what made Floyd so popular is not that he talked and his charisma and blah, 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 we can go on, but it's the fact that he also had the status of like being the money man that gets attention too. it builds up like an agreement or a consensus in, in, in just the world of, of sports that Floyd is the top at every single thing. And therefore he's worth paying attention to. And so I think Canelo could build himself into that. And it would be amazing because the guy can't even speak English or he can speak English, but refuses to, um, <laughs> Golden Boy, I think, needs to, needs to be cut out. I think if Golden Boy has it their way, they'll they'll have him fight again in December against Lemieux, and sure, Canelo will beat him. But like, does Canelo really need to fight three times a year, or or uh, what? What? Which is the timeline that they would have him on if if it, Golden Boy had had it their way? Their May, September, December. Uh, does he really need to? I don't think so. Yeah, I agree. Um, are Boy, it's funny to say this, but are are we ready to move on from Canelo Golovkin, or do you have any more uh, areas to look at? Hmm. Who do you think? Uh, how should I ask this question? Who do you think will take the tougher opponent in their next fight? <laughs> I mean, it's hard to keep answering this because it's like I think Golovkin will retire and Canelo will take time off. So it's like it's kind of a moot point. But um, God, I, I mean, Canelo, because I see Golovkin either not fighting or fighting sort of like a showcase fight in Kazakhstan or something. Oh, like, my God. I, I can't imagine that. We should move on. Um, Jaime Munguia versus Brandon Cook. Is there anything you want to say? I touched on it a little bit. I don't think there's really anything to say about this fight. Um, I wasn't impressed with Munguia. Uh, Brandon Cook looked like he just did not look like he should have been fighting on pay-per-view. Um, yeah, I have a pretty concise take here. I, I think, uh, what I said for, uh, when Munguia fought, uh, beefy smith uh that you know what that fight was was when you have a guy who's about you know the lower half of the top 10 in the division fighting the guy who's about 15 in the division that's what that looks like what you have in this fight is a guy who's still in the bottom half of the top 10 fighting a guy who's about 50 
in the division. I don't think uh, Munguia is in the bottom 10 at, at 154. Where, I mean, we talked about this before. Where do you have him? Um, let's see. Probably put him, he'd be about five or six. I think that's generous. I mean, we just haven't seen him in with enough P- I mean, we haven't seen him in with a guy who's close to the level of like Austin Trout, for instance. I mean, at least I would I would judge Trout to be much better than Beefy Smith. So um, I think to me, he still has more to do to show that. Um, he, he just has, you know, it's so that's I mean, that's why, you know, it was crazy coming in to the Saddam Ali fight, even when he was proposed to fight Golovkin. He just had absolutely nothing on his resume. I mean, usually when you have a guy come from absolute nowhere, um, he can't perform and you know he was able to perform at the level to knock out a chinny welterweight uh and he was able to perform at the level of having a competitive win uh against beefy smith you know domestic level uk guy but um i don't know i don't know i don't really know how much credit we're supposed to give him for those wins so anyway yeah cook came in ranked about number 50 in box rank that box rec i didn't just pull that out of the sky very, you know, comically small for the weight class, had already been knocked out before. You know, it's always telling in a fighter's career. I mean, look, I know he's 21, so he can kind of get away with anything, but um, Cook had already been knocked out. They didn't try to get a fight with the guy who knocked him out. They got the knockout victim, you know, and that says exactly what it is, that he's 21 and they aren't trying to uh, put him in a tough fight here, at least not on this pay-per-view. So I just, like I said, it, it really doesn't mean that much to me. We, we aren't going to learn anything about him until we start to see him with a little bit of better competition. And it's very cynical that, you know, in his last fight, he fought a guy who was around 15 and now they dropped him all the way down to a guy who's about 50. Uh, again, he's 21, but, uh, it's pretty cynical promoting. I mean, they just wanted to knock out at all costs, even though it was against a dead body. Well, he also fought like two weeks ago. So, I don't blame them. I think this is the right thing to do. I think getting Munguia this showcase performance on the pay-per-view was the right thing. I'll save everything else that I have to say about this for later. Um, I'll talk about, let's talk about the Lemieux. um, Sure. You know what? I'm going to bring up a point and I'll relate it to both of these fights actually. So um, something we've talked about a lot on here and I've talked about a lot, um, and I'm going to go a little bit into the weeds, but I'll make it worth it. So a big difference between the, the PBC situation in general and like top rank and some of these other guys is they have such a deeper stable. So generally what you're going to get when you have, say, like Sean Porter versus Danny Garcia is a more competitive fight. That's not true all the time, but they have a deep enough stable that they have the ability to match their top guys with other people. I mean, even like Errol Spence versus Lamont Peterson, not uh, super competitive, but, you know, it's like you can't punish Spence for being that good. Lamont Peterson has given tough fights to a lot of guys, has beaten a lot of guys, um, you know, arguably beat Danny Garcia. That was a good fight for Spence to take uh, compared to Topper. You know, they really don't have anyone for Golovkin, or uh, excuse me, for Lomachenko and Crawford to go against. You know, they were able to pull um, a Linares out of the hat, but then, you know, who's he fighting his next fight? Someone Trevante Davis already knocked out. You know, it really goes over, off the cliff after that. And related to that topic, what we always say is, you know, it's a double-edged thing. You know, are people savvy enough to see that you have more competitive fights, you should reward the guys for fighting the higher level fights? Or do they look at, you know, Lomachenko getting the Nomaschenko performance against Miguel Mariaga and viewing him as being number one pound for pound for blowing out a no-hoper? Do you look at Golovkin uh, <laughs> making Curtis Stevens make that unforgettable face and you say, oh, you know, he's number one? And I thought it was interesting that, um, so related to this, um, Max Kellerman in that same interview, I think um, 
you probably heard he was on Chris Mannix's podcast, said, you know, yeah, basically that same same thing. Well, I thought it was a good interview. But anyway, he, he said that point blank. Chris Mannix asked him, you know, what's going to happen with top rank? They don't have any uh, opponents for their top guys. And he said, you know, Kellerman said it pretty transparently, you know. This dynamic exists in, box, in boxing. I don't think Top Rank's worried about that. I think Top Rank is happy to pair their guys off against easy opponents for the next few years, if that's what it means. Their guys stay undefeated. They rack up highlights. Uh, he said, you know what? That's probably. I think Top Rank's just fine with that situation. And you know what you have here? Um, you got to see some version of that. You know, uh, Jaime Munguia fought a guy who's number 50 in the division. To me, that means absolutely nothing. That really does not indicate his quality because, you know, again, we saw him with a guy who was around 15, and even that was a very competitive fight. That's not making me think that he's a you know, future pound-for-pounder, especially when he's showing so many visible flaws. So to get back to David Lemieux, uh, Spike O'Sullivan has a silly mustache. Um, he fought uh, a prospect in his last fight who had already lost, and he melted down again. And okay, Spike gets a win on his record, but, you know, it had already been baked in that he's just a pretty bad fighter. And we've seen Lemieux has speed and power, but severe limitations. But when you match him right, he can get a knockout. I thought it was going to be an early knockout. I didn't think it was going to be quite this early. I mean, you can never really pick a first-round knockout, but that, to me, had first that had early knockout written all over it. And again, that's what happens when you have soft matchmaking. I can't really blame them that much for doing this fight, um spike did have a win on hbo he had a knockout win on hbo um you know okay now spike gets to go away again you know with his silly mustache lemieux gets rehabbed enough that he'll probably get to fight canelo i don't think this means that lemieux is in any way suddenly better than he was i think this means that lemieux is exactly who he thought he was the entire time anyway what do you think well i want to point out the thing you said about top rank first of all um I realize I said a mouthful. (laughs) It's not a bad thing what Top Rank does. And in fact, I would say that that's actually the genius of Top Rank. That is what makes Top Rank so good. It's why Bob Arum has been in this business for so long. They know how to matchmake. They know that we we don't have to be limited to bringing up one fighter in every division. That's the myth of boxing that a promoter whether it be PBC well, who is not a promoter but more of a uh, of an of a of an entity or you look at golden boy where we have one guy per division and we feed everyone to this guy whereas top rank understands I'm not even going to bring up the UK promoters because they're well, look, not. I'm doing just going to jump in. That's what Top Rank has done for the overwhelming amount of their history is pick exactly. one star and feed guys to them. But they're doing. They have a different business model now with ESPN, which much more resembles what the PBC has done. Anyway, continue. But, no, well, no. That's the genius of Top Rank is that they're able to keep things in house, and they're able to build quality opponents for their fighters, so that at the end of the day. They both fall under the same banner. They both take a cut from both guys, and they get they get money. Traditionally, promoters are reliant on working with other promoters to make fights. I don't think the ESPN deal is is what you say it is, because Top Rank's not promoting Alvarez versus Kovalev. They're televising it. There's a big difference. They're televising Frank Warren fights. Are they Frank Warren versus top rank fights? 
Not necessarily. Will there be some? At some point. But they're televising things. In the same way, Matchroom isn't promoting all of the events that you'll be seeing on uh, the on the days in streaming service. Because they're bringing, like Top Rank now is more comparable to Showtime if Showtime was also promoting fights in addition to buying fights. Um, or that's, you know, it's it's just a different model. But whatever that's that's irrelevant i i just want to say that the genius of top rank is that they understand how to make the most money and and golden boy did the same thing with lemieux versus spike they did the same thing with Munguia, who they have um this agreement to promote him in the wake of the saddam ali fight and then um the gonzalez fight was a k2 uh 360 whatever you want to call it uh, Tom Luffler, whatever Tom Luffler was promoting, that was his. That was that. That's what he got to put on the undercard. Um, uh, about the Lemieux fight, the only thing that I took away from that fight because I didn't think Spike had a chance. The only thing I took away from that fight was we get we hear this a lot in boxing about weight bullies, people who rehydrate a ton, and there's this myth that Errol Spence does that. Or Jarrett Hurd does that. Um, you can probably come up with whoever you want, and I'll agree with you. I don't think, like, I literally, I, I cannot in my mind think of a weight bully right now across any promoter that's top ranked Golden Boy, that's an over on main events, that's over with Frank Warren, that's over with Eddie Hearn. Nobody pops out to me as being a legitimate weight bully. And I have not seen a like a really good weight bully. Like somebody that doesn't just rehydrate a ton because they lost weight the wrong way. Brandon Rios. I'm talking about someone like the plan was we are going to be huge on fight night. You know who's a legitimate weight bully? David Lemieux. Rehydrated 19 pounds. I have not seen somebody rehydrate that much in a fight. Taking Brandon Rios out of the equation since Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Spike O'Sullivan rehydrated a measly four and a half pounds. You had a guy 179 pounds on the morning of or the day of the fight fighting a guy that was 164 and a half. Like that's a couple of weight, that's two weight classes apart. It's, it's a little ridiculous. Um, so naturally, I mean, I I could see it on Spike's face. The first time he got hit with like a jab, he even kind of like, it was almost like, he was like, whoa, okay. And then he, he, he just got put down with the shot that he literally had no chance of getting up from. I mean, if he would have got up, he would have been instantly put away like night, night. Um, so I don't know where to go with that. I, it just, Lemieux's a weight bully. He beat O'Sullivan. And like you said, maybe he gets Canelo. I agree with that. Maybe he gets Canelo. Do I care? I mean, if he fights Canelo, sure, I care about that. But like, we know who he is. We know what Lemieux can do at middleweight. It's not much. You can beat the Curtis Stevens of the world. You can beat the Spike O'Sullivans. Good for you. Um, but we saw, and, and let's be frank, okay? Not Frank Warren. But let's be frank. Nobody thought Billy Joe Saunders was amazing 
prior to fighting David Lemieux. And there certainly were some who thought that Lemieux had a chance in that fight. Not me. I knew that Lemieux had no chance. But there were some that thought, oh, Lemieux, he has a lot of power, Billy Joe, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, we know now he had no chance against Billy Joe. And Billy Joe was a guy who most people thought, eh, he's all right. He's all right. So were we getting with this? I don't really care about what Lemieux is going to do next unless it's fight Canelo. Sure. Let me jump in a little bit here. So, I mean, regarding the weight bully topic, I, I used to wrestle in high school. I used to have to make weight. Making weight sucks. I, I What was your um, finisher? <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, used to wrestle in high school. Making weight sucks. Um, generally speaking, I'm of the attitude that the, the the notion of a weight bully is not really, you know, if you can make the weight, you can make the weight and that's what the weight classes are. Um, I think at the same time that you can rationally look at a fight like this and say that that had his weight advantage had a huge part to do with the outcome. You know, it doesn't have to do with his technical boxing ability. A huge part of it has to do with his uh, weight advantage. At the same time, I'd say also, I mean, reason he gets a big knockout is because he put a huge amount of weight behind his punches, much more so than normal boxers do. Most, most boxers punch in a way that leaves them more on balance from punch to punch. Lemieux throws his entire body into his punches. And I, the reason why I say both those things at the same time is they're both double-edged swords. Most fighters who dehydrate heavily, end up having health problems or end up missing weight and having to leave their weight class. It's not a very sustainable way to go about a career. Most pound for pound guys usually end up being guys who are pretty comfortably on weight for their weight class. That was at least notably true for Mayweather uh, and Pacquiao. It's definitely true as well. If Golovkin, Golovkin fought at one weight class for his entire career, is very comfortable there. He wasn't doing the super rehydration stuff. And, you know, to that point, I think it's up to boxing commissions to police that. And they are, there, there's talks of these very, very reasonable, uh, overwhelmingly reasonable standard of a 10% rehydration. So, uh, for instance, that middleweight, that would mean by the, the morning of you need to weigh in at 176. So, you know, a little bit less than what Lemieux ended up doing, <laughs> you know, in terms of the rehydration. Not crazy, but just kind of enough that it keeps it on kind of the safe uh, level. So, yeah, I, regarding this fight, Lemieux, he fought within the rules. He didn't cheat. I think also we're smart enough to know that doesn't mean he's a super skilled boxer and that he didn't improve since he got completely uh, taken to school by Billy Joe Saunders. Fights Canelo, he will lose. But you know what? I'll watch that fight. Canelo's a big enough star. I mean, it's not like I'm not going to tune in if that pay-per-view happens. So, you know, again, also Canelo gets a little bit of a mulligan for fighting Golovkin twice, um, which is, you know, definitely viewed as the toughest fight for him both times. Fanboys could argue they'd love to see him fight Charlo or Jacobs or something, but um, or I mean, Billy you. Joe Saunders even in the case of the UK. But, you know, Golovkin was definitely the hardest fight on paper. He fought him twice. He gets a free fight. I have no problem if that's Lemieux. Can you post pictures of yourself in a singlet? <laughs> boy those will never appear online uh what was your I weight class say, yeah so i wrestled at between sophomore and junior year i wrestled uh 125 130 and 135 i am now a cruiserweight so uh that's also just a separate thing it's informed my opinions about fighters going through weight classes that when you have a fighter who's gone through a million weight classes usually has a lot more to do with how old they were when they turned pro than it does with how good they are. You know, if you look at a fighter who fought at one weight class through their whole career, usually means they probably turn pro about what their, 
you know, adult weight, their adult kind of man weight was, uh, as opposed to, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, really they're just so good. They go up through so many weight classes. I just wanted to point that out because that's a fanboy argument that frustrates me sometimes that, Oh, this fighter went through so many weight classes. They're so much better. You know, I remember that specifically coming up with Spence and Mayweather, you know, they're both roughly the same size. They both basically ended up at welterweight, uh, Mayweather turned pro a lot younger, started at 130. Um, Spence turned pro a lot older. Spence might be, you know, let's say naturally one weight class bigger. But a- again, in terms of the weight class progression, certainly not saying Spence is better than Mayweather. He isn't or that he has a, a better legacy, which is, would be laughable. But in, the, in terms of that specific point, it's just, you know, you always have to look at kind of where the fighter turned pro. Anyway, uh, they sort of get off on a tangent here. Uh, well, I, I still think Roman Gonzalez would knock you out. Um, I, oh boy, Roman Gonzalez. I have so little respect for his current standing in the, in the sport. If you had mentioned to anyone else, Inouye would knock me out. I have no problem saying that, but you know, tomato face Roman Gonzalez. I don't know. He, he did not, he did not look very good to me on Saturday night. No, Gonzalez definitely looked like a shell of himself. Um, he's falling from such a high though, that even at this state where he's incredibly slow, his movement is not quite what terrible, it once right? was. I mean, we can agree, that. I agree right. on that. But despite all of that, he's still it's still at the level where he can win fights. Still there. And I I I well it's at the level that he can win fights against the lower level of of well, opponents okay. like yeah, the Moises Fuentes is of the quickly. world. Moises Fuentes, we last heard of him when he got knocked out in one round by Dago Higa. Diego Higa, in his next fight, got knocked out by Christopher Rosales. Okay? Like, Moises Fuentes, not a good, not a good fighter. You know, you he has... You think is any good? He had five losses on his record coming in. He had three KO losses. And, you know, okay, Gonzalez knocked him out in five rounds. That, that to me, is not a, a very strong indicator of uh, Gonzalez's standing right now. But, yes, he is good enough to knock out the... Moises Fuentes of the world. Right. I mean, Fuentes is done as a fighter as well. Um, he, but even then... I don't think he's a has-been. I think he's a never-was. I mean, let's be more specific. I mean, yeah, it, there was... Yeah. <laughs> At best, a journeyman, and he's probably not even that anymore. Anyway, go on. I, Fuentes, at one point in time, challenged for titles and blah, blah, blah. He was an interim champion. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he was a great fighter. But whatever he wasn't very good he's a uh, he's also was a former minimum weight champion by the way just making making sure you know that um but well but look, again look at look at that win though i mean he had lost two fights prior to that fought a guy who was three and five i mean you know that that has to do with the the the, the lack of people who want to fight for minimum weight titles that, well, that doesn't really speak to his my quality. point is it doesn't matter because um we're talking about stuff that was happening for sure. five years yeah, ago yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's very very tangentially related to the topic at hand. And anyway, sorry, go on. We're we're looking at guys in in the divisions and at weights where your longevity in the sport is minimal. Your your longevity is correlated with your with how light and small you are, and both guys are clearly not what they were a few years ago. Um, Gonzalez is clearly not that guy, especially coming off of two knockout losses. He was getting hit and Gonzalez has always gotten hit. Um, 
There's a lot of myth-making about who Roman Gonzalez is and was thanks to um, HBO's massive campaign to hopefully get Gonzalez over so that they have cheap, uh, you could consider it cheap labor and relative oh to what the ratings brought in. But we're getting into a completely different thing by if we bring that up. But Gonzalez is done. I don't think anybody was really like confident coming into this fight that Gonzalez would be redone. Um, the type, the two losses against Rungvisai kind of tell the whole story. Um, Gonzalez maybe gets another two fights before either they feed him to somebody who knocks him out or he just says, yeah, I'm good with boxing. I'm done. I think that's probably the most likely future for him. I look, I know I've been negative <laughs> for like the last 20 minutes of the podcast, but again, we're getting, we're in cynical territory here. I mean, Superfly three did one of HBO's worst all time records. No, no, it, it's actually the worst. Yeah. Okay. I didn't want to make that claim. You know, yeah, you have a much better understanding of these records. So you keep track of these. Yeah, so the worst of all time. Do they, does it really matter at this point if they put Rome? I mean, do they need to rehab Roman Gonzalez for this? I mean, are they going to do – I mean, what, what's the goal of the – you know, that they might – that it – you know, the, there are two outcomes. One, it either beats Superfly 3 for the new worst of all time uh, record – or it does slightly better than that. It's not going to suddenly become a success. I mean, they ran the Superfly th- thing into the ground. I mean, it, HBO doesn't have any business to do left with Roman Gonzalez. He is not someone who's going to draw money from this point forward. The Superfly concept is not going to draw money from this point forward. No, and especially, I mean, Gonzalez being in it only, I mean, you're, you're, you're tuning in for a car crash, basically, if he's in there with anybody. Anybody who won on the Superfly 3 card is going to stop Gonzalez, and it won't be pretty. Um, and I'm not even going to talk about this anymore. I'd rather talk about... Uh, so I heard people had problems with the HBO broadcast. As you know, I don't listen with sound. So um, can you tell me you listened with sound? Um, were there any audio issues? I heard that people had audio issues. Was that something that you had? No, it's funny you say that. We haven't gotten to the ESPN card yet, and I don't know if we will have time for that. There were actually a lot of technical issues with the ESPN card this weekend. Um, yeah, I didn't really notice anything. I mean, it was a crazy broadcast overall, you know, because, I mean, you saw the same thing I did, that the undercard fights, so, I mean, we haven't mentioned that at all, but the undercard fights were over so quickly, all of them, and they had to kill all of this time. And it was funny, there was so much hand-wringing coming into the fight that they were specifically going for, like, a speed broadcast they wanted to get everything done, do the fight at 11. They viewed this as very important. I have no idea where this came from, the sudden priority to have the fight at 11 p.m. locked in, that it was not going to go later than that. They couldn't do the the national anthems on television. And then, you know, lo and behold, the undercards, you know, were about 20 minutes of boxing, and then they ended up having to kill an hour and a half. I, My wife and I literally watched a movie <laughs> in the middle of the broadcast while we were waiting for the main event to come on. That is a true story. Um, so anyway, I hijacked the question, but I didn't really notice any technical problems. Um, I definitely wouldn't be surprised if they're scaling back the quality of their promote their production. I mean, the quality of the promotion going in definitely seemed like, I know you talked about that. Uh, we talked about that and you talked about that on the Thursday or the, you know, the second pod last week definitely seemed to be cutting the budget on the promotion. But, um, as far as the production, I, I wouldn't say I specifically noticed that it just kind of seemed like the HBO were used to, but um i don't know do you have anything more to say about that or anything more specific to call out about what people were saying about it um i i don't know about the audio stuff but i what i will say about the delay is that th- it was stupid of them to rush the fighters out to fight 
they should have had a time frame of these two fighters need to be in the ring between this time and this time. And if we have to stall between fights, we're going to do that. Right. It was crazy. That's normally what they do. You know, if one goes fast, okay, they kill a bit of time. They kind of exactly they have they seem to have a start time in mind. That's what we're used to seeing, you know, on pay-per-views. It's not relevant to premium cable because, you know, it's not a it's not a pay-per-view, but um, they can just start the fights as soon as they want. But but yeah, here's crazy. The thing. If if you I don't know what the logic was. OK, so like let's say that they were counting on the Munguia fight going 12 rounds, which was stupid. But let's say they were counting on that. Well, the Gonzalez fight goes five rounds. The the the, uh, the Lemieux fight goes one round. Okay, even if that fight goes twelve rounds, you still have forty minutes to 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 waste before the main event. Before you even start getting into the festivities of the main event, okay? Incredibly stupid. Why not just space it out? Do you know why I'm upset about that? I have one more thing to say, but I'll, I'm curious to hear first where you're going. They hurt Munguia. They hurt Lemieux. If you space it out, you don't turn people who are excited about seeing two knockouts, especially if you're like new to boxing. Maybe you don't understand the gravity of just or how little it mattered that these two guys got knockout wins. If you're in that position and then you're like, man, that was so cool. But then you have this long amount of time for you to go watch a movie or for you to just get pissed off that why is it taking so long? Why are they stalling? Why do we have to keep listening to them talk about this fight over and over and over again or whatever they were doing? Now, Munguia is out of people's minds. The Lemieux knockout starts to be forgotten. Like, you space it out better. You keep the momentum going. I mean, it was just stupid that they would that, that they would have done that. You can go. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if we need to spend too much more time on it. I think the one last spin that I'd have here is it also illustrates how bizarre HBO's current lineup is. You know, so another thing related to this, they do they are not showing a replay, apparently, or at least they don't have a fight card paired with a replay for next week. That's right. the first time I can ever remember that happening with a pay-per-view, literally mm-hmm. ever. Um, it's bizarre. I mean, you know, again... How many times do we have to say the writing seems to be on the wall that they're on their way out in the pay-per-view business? But compare that to a Showtime broadcast. I mean, um, this happens where you have early knockouts, but I mean, Showtime in general in their broadcast will build in times to have kind of a panel discussion. You know, they'll have other fighters there. They'll, they'll have an interview prepped. They'll have, you know, it's not just video packages. You sort of have, you know, the team ready to go. And HBO has done this in past interviews. You know, you do this to kind of strengthen the brand. You bring up other people from the promoter. But, you know, there are no other notable people from Golden Boy who are really fighting on HBO. And there are no really relevant, you know, outside of Lemieux who fought on the card and Jaime Munguia who they co-promote. And... On the Golovkin side, again, you have no one except sort of Roman Gonzalez, but, you know, they showed his fight. So they they kind of tapped themselves out between the two promoters and the network for this one card. Um, You know, you have uh, Jacobs and uh, Derevianchenko. That would seem to make sense. You know, those are middleweights. I don't know why they didn't do any coverage of them. But, you know, outside of that, it really falls off the cliff. I mean, it's, it's really... 
I mean, again, what what else can you say? I mean, the writing seems to be on the wall that HBO is dying, but you know, it might seem like we're we're making a mountain out of a molehill of just this like weird pay per view broadcast. But again, it's it's really indicative of larger problems. You know, it it revealed how slim and how how really how little else there is outside of this one main event for this card. Yeah, I don't have too much to say about the the broadcast. I've said enough about HBO's future. Um on this main podcast on daily podcast so like i'm not really going to get into that uh it just it just seems clear that there are there are issues there whether they be budgetary because of the merger or the purchase or the acquisition however it's being worded or they literally just don't see a future in boxing it could be one of the two things maybe it's both um or maybe there's something else maybe peter nelson is completely incompetent at being a network executive specifically in regards to uh, boxing programming which could also be the case too which i i'm not ruling out uh it's one of those things um and of course it's a shame because i, I mean this pay-per-view in terms of the fights delivered delivered every step of the way you can't say none any of the fights was boring you can't say the, the results weren't exciting um you can't say that stuff I mean, the main event was excellent. The rest of the card was pretty terrible. I mean, look, you had huge mismatches. Um, like, ugh, anyway, I don't, I don't need to say more than that. Go on. Uh, I don't. I don't think that that's true. I think for people that were watching, and, and a, a pay per view isn't geared towards you. No one cares about your opinion, Tom. A pay per view uh, is geared for casual fans, and casual fans want to see like the brutality the sport that closely resembles what you see it in movies. If they cared about you, we would be seeing um, Jacobs versus Derevianchenko would be on pay-per-view because you'd order that. So you got to keep the people who are there at the party who don't watch boxing entertained and seeing Lemieux put O'Sullivan down. Pretty cool. Seeing uh, the, the, the Gonzalez knockout. That's pretty cool. I mean, people complained about the the Mayweather um, McGregor undercard because it didn't deliver, it didn't have. I mean, the the matchups should have yielded these types of results, and it didn't. You know, that's what happens in boxing. But you had the kind of undercard that was perfect to get people like primed and ready for the main event, and it delivered in that sense, but um, didn't deliver in the timing and and uh, uh, of the of the actual production. But whatever, we could talk about the ESPN card. Um, Jose Ramirez beats Antonio Orozco in the main event. I mean, for me, it's like Top Rank is the best at matchmaking. Like on paper, like this is one of those wins on paper that looks so much better than it actually is. You have uh, Jose Ramirez fighting this undefeated fighter from the Golden Boy stable. Uh, Antonio Orozco, he's been around for a while. You've probably recognized his name. You probably don't know why you recognize his name or where you recognize him from, but you do recognize him and he's undefeated and he comes in to fight Jose Ramirez. So on paper, heading into it, you're thinking, oh, this is going to be a, a good fight, but um, you know, I give it to Ramirez, but it'll be tough, blah, blah, blah. Ramirez ends up winning 119-107, drops him twice, almost stopped him once. Um, you see them actually next to each other and you see the difference and like, okay, Ramirez looks like a weight class bigger than him. And uh, Ramirez was just far more relentless than Orozco. Orozco just, he just didn't have the speed. He just didn't have like that top level 
skill to compete with Ramirez. And that's not even saying that Ramirez is like super good. I know you're not very high on him. Um, I'm not super high on him, but he's clearly better than Orozco. Uh, and most importantly, it was a good fight. Um, a lot of action. There was a lot of violence in that fight. They both both ate big shots from each other, but Ramirez is just a little better. Uh, what did you see in that fight? I thought it was a very fun fight. I think it's, it gets to something we've talked about a lot of, you know, what are these kind of boxing middle-class fights? Um, yeah, this this to me was good. I mean, I, I don't watch every ESPN card, usually not the, the Golden Boy ones, but I mean, this one definitely uh, was good. I enjoyed the main event. I think, yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely have said many, many times I view Jose Ramirez as being really a level below at 140. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, there are lots of reasons he didn't enter the World Boxing Super Series, but I would not have tabbed him to do too well if he had entered it. But, you know, he's good enough. I mean, he's a title holder. Um, not every title holder is a pound-for-pound pound entrant. Um, thought it was good entertainment. I mean, someone was going to beat, I mean, uh, Antonio Orozco, as you said, he was kind of used to be considered a prospect. He still was undefeated, but was viewed as having kind of plateaued, um, went the distance with Martin Honorio in his last fight. If you're going the distance with Martin Honorio, probably means you're not a prospect anymore. Uh, he's 30 years old, so he's going to get cashed in at some point. And I thought this was a good way, uh, good, good, good fight to go out. I mean, on paper, I mean, I think for his career, it wasn't like he was just being fed to the dogs. Like he definitely, if he was going to beat anyone, if he was going to win a title, Jose Ramirez was the guy who was going to win it against. And Jose Ramirez showed that, you know, again, I'm not super high on him, but he's way better than Antonio Orozco. Uh, I thought it was good action. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of comes out of this. I mean, that's, you know, with this debate about the boxing middle class, I mean, I think Jose Ramirez is a guy who fits squarely in that in terms of a guy who, again, probably not destined for the pound-for-pound pound list. I don't think that I'm going out on a limb by saying that. But he delivers some good TV fights. Um, I think his he he's a good ticket seller, they always talk about. I mean, these are not, you know, probably not huge gates, but he sells a large volume of tickets. Um, I believe, though, his last... Um, fight on ESPN might have been ESPN's lowest card to date with top rank. Is that true? I believe it is the lowest. Yeah. Yeah. The single lowest. So, I mean, you're talking about, um, as, as much as I said, you know, like Jose Ramirez in terms of his popularity, he's the, uh, super fly three of the top rank stable, at least based on that one date. You know, I, I don't know what the other competition was that night. It will be interesting to see. I mean, this was a, again, as far as the ESPN top rank cards go, this was, good on paper this would have been perfectly fine as like a boxing after dark card it was you know very solid fight very entertaining um i think you know again i think we saw jose ramirez's skill ceiling he got tagged a huge amount in this fight uh but it was good uh do you want to talk about the rest of the card no um i want to say that jose ramirez is in a good spot right now he made the they made the right choice by not putting him in the world boxing super series um because those are you 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 can't control his destiny if you do that and we talked about earlier that top rank's plan is they want to try to keep things in house now they'll go out if they have to but why do that if you're not like if the profits from going and bringing in someone else from another promoter is not going to be substantially more than if he fights someone in house so I think with Ramirez and the state of his division, you have a, an entire year where you can keep building him. 
You can keep working on his fan base. He can keep working on his craft and taking himself to the next level. That's going to be important for him because, as you saw, he there are flaws in his game. He has potential with his ability to draw. He's now got Robert Garcia in his train in his corner. Um, he puts on good fights. If he does this a couple more times, there's a future for Ramirez uh, to be one of your 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 stars. Now he's obviously not a pound for pound guy, but you don't have to be a pound for pound guy. Like Amir Khan's not a pound for pound guy. But many fighters would prob- would probably rather switch spots with him if if it means that they cash the Amir Khan type of checks. So I I, I think I'm not saying Ramirez is going to be Amir Khan, by the way. Um, but I'm just saying that there's a future in Ramirez, and I I don't mind what they did with him. Um, and so I will finish this podcast. The last thing is like, where do you think HBO is going from here? And don't just say, well, nowhere. They're not airing boxing anymore because they have some stuff left on the schedule. What does the rest of the year for HBO look like? I think that's a fascinating, fascinating thought. I think I see three possibilities. Um, One, which I've seen some people who are semi-credible on Twitter talking about, which is very surprising to me, that they could do something with the PBC. PBC's Tim Smith has said that uh, the PBC is working on and expects to announce shortly another network deal. So, you know, if they do that, you know, if they sort of sidetrack the sort of Peter Nelson version of what boxing is on the network, they could instantly have fights back on HBO. Hold on. Hold on. Let me pause you there because I got to ask this question. If PBC jumped on with HBO... How does that change the public perception of HBO in like 10 words or less? Um, I don't know. I have a hard time framing that. I mean, I think there are definitely the the people who are sort of um, there's where there's the anti PBC derangement syndrome where there are people who just seem to hate them for no conceivable reason outside of reporters who, you know, seem to be just paid by rival promoters. Um, you know, those people won't like it, but I mean, I think for anyone else, when you look at what HBO has delivered this year, I can't imagine them being upset with that. So anyway, that I don't have that much more to say about that. I don't think that's particularly plausible, but I've heard a lot of people speculating about that on Twitter and again, some semi-credible people, uh, speculating about that. So there's that. Do you consider me to be semi-credible? Uh, well, yes, but I'm not talking about you. I know you're Um, not. Because I would never say anything like this. <laughs> uh, next, next thought is I could see them somehow finding a way to court Canelo. And basically, if Canelo wants to keep fighting on a regular basis, if he doesn't want to step away for a year or two, like you know, I think both of us think would probably make sense. Um, I could see them just becoming sort of the Canelo business. You know, one of their outstanding obligations is the Jacob Serbianchenko fight. I could see that happening. Canelo is so dominant as far as being a star in the United States on pay-per-view. He could just say, I'm fighting on HBO. Every other middleweight, if you want to fight me, I'm going to fight once or twice a year. Come over here. You're going to fight absolutely on my terms. It's going to be a 70-30 split, whatever he wants to say. And, you know, guys like Jermel Charlo or, or Jermel Charlo or Daniel Jacobs, Stereochenko winner, or, I mean, well, they're on HBO. Well, actually, no, I think that's Jacob's last fight. Anyway, you know, so all of these guys, the winner of Andrade um, Saunders, and just say, you know, 
fight me on HBO or else I'm not going to fight you. If he doesn't step away from the game, I could see that possibly happening of sort of this, you know, a renegotiated deal where HBO is primarily focused around Canelo. And then they continue to do kind of the lower level stuff like they did this year, where they still show uh, some Superfly stuff or other stuff that say like Tom Loeffler can put together. They still start continue to build up Jaime Munguia you know, stuff like that. Um, so there's that version. Third version, I could see them just literally exiting and just, you know, at this point, it's an embarrassment on the sport. Uh, Canelo can make deals elsewhere. Golovkin can make deals elsewhere. Both of their deals are up. It's not worth it at this point. They don't have enough of a commitment that they're really going to shell out money to re-sign one of those guys. And I could literally just see, you know, the calendar petering out. I, like I said, this, this I believe, is these two guys' last fights. Uh, Jacob's was under contract for one more fight. So they were still obligated to do that. That to me is not indicative of future plans necessarily. That was just, you know, a remaining obligation. You could literally just see their obligations with promoters wind down to the end of the year and that's it. They move on. I think that's the most likely outcome. I think HBO's future is completely dependent on whether or not Canelo or Golovkin resign. Specifically, and more so Canelo, because this is the guy with all the leverage in the sport. If Canelo resigns, I can see possibly, depending on how well this fight does, the new regime over at HBO saying, okay, the fight did well. I think we should give this another crack. And then they say, okay, well, let's 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 start getting back into things and we'll have to ramp up and take what's left because every, everything that's not tied down right now in this great race of uh, this great arms race that we're having in 2018 is getting tied down. But obviously, if you have Canelo, uh, you have guys that are going to want to fight there because they want to fight Golovkin. And as far as I know, the, the, face, the, the Golden Boy um, Facebook deal isn't super long long term. So you could see the return of all the Golden Boy cards and, and people over on HBO. You have K2. And basically, it builds from where we were early this year, where it seemed like it was just main events, face, or I keep saying Facebook, Golden Boy and K2, and then we build up from there. Um, I can see that timeline. The, the reality, though, is that HBO might be too late. Without Canelo and Golovkin, I think they might be too late because... Showtime, Fox, Dazen, ESPN have gobbled everything up. And while they may intend to stay in boxing, they're just not there's just not enough outside of the top 2. And if they want to become that premium outlet, fine. I just am concerned about the production costs and whether they'd be willing to pay uh, unless they're working on independent contractors but then again you have uh, train wreck broadcasts uh, because people aren't like doing this a a lot Um, then you 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 know you have bad a bad product and then you have to ask is HBO willing to have one of their prestige and legacy uh, programs basically be terrible like Bill Simmons' show I don't think they, they they would want to go that route. So it's basically like if they can't if if they can't see a future by getting more guys into their stable or into the stable of of people who fight on HBO, then I think HBO has enough class to say 
we shouldn't do this. If we can't do it our way, if we can't be consistent with HBO and who HBO has been in the past, we're not going to do it. Um, yeah, that- yeah, I see that. I mean, you know, I've said this for a long time. Uh, I've always felt that if HBO, it became clear that they couldn't be the number one entity in boxing, uh, they would exit boxing. And for the last few years, they've sort of tried to bluff. You know, they had Canelo fighting so they could claim the number one draw. They had Joshua fighting on the tape delay broadcast last year as well. They made a lot of that. By by 2018, though, I mean, 2016 was a decline. 2017 was a decline. By, tw- by the time 2018 came, it became clear that the, uh, the emperor had no clothes. They were sort of able to keep the bluff going. At this point, I, I think it's enough of an embarrassment again. If they don't, because that's another thing, talking about, you know, if Canelo decides to re-sign with them. I mean, it's, it's a mutual thing. You would have to have someone at HBO who believes in boxing enough to shell out an amount of money in order to get him there. I mean, if you talk about like Floyd Mayweather's deal with Showtime, they guaranteed huge amounts of money when he did that Showtime deal where they guarantee, you know, where he would fight two times a year for the three years culminated in Mayweather Pacquiao and then, you know, had the farewell fight against Berto and, um, you know, took major, major commitment within the network to do that. You had to s- secure a lot of money. And I, I just, I, I just don't see it. Like I said, it's possible that's a possibility, but I think it's extremely likely they're going to uh, exit by the end of the year. I just think the writing's on the wall. Well, that'll be Peter Nelson's legacy, um, the fall of HBO. And uh, with that, thanks for listening. I'm gonna, we're going to wrap it up here and say if you don't subscribe over on Patreon.com, you should do that and get access to more content, uh, cooler podcasts, um, well, I don't know if it's cooler podcast, but you get more podcasts. Uh, no, <laughs> at I, least more. But yeah, very good, very good uh, focused, specific podcasts, evergreen podcasts. Um, at least, maybe, at least the maybe there will be one focusing on the reign of Peter Nelson. And hmm, how come HBO has not done so well with him at the helm? Hmm, don't know. Uh, that's uh, more that and a whole lot more. Um, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.